We are in Acts chapter 17, and we haven't done the memory chart in a few weeks, so why don't we do this and just see if we can catch up here. And I haven't done a zoom in here, so we'll just, uh, let's see, y'all ought to be able to see that, shouldn't you? Okay, oh yeah, that's good and big. All right, let's pick up in um, Acts chapter 10, is, well, we'll do a quick one from the beginning. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 5 is A, B, C, D. A is the apostles and the ascension. That covers chapter 1. Um, 2 is B, and that is the beginning of the church. 3 is C, the crippled man is healed. 4 is D, the disciples detained. That is, Peter and John are arrested for healing the crippled man. Chapter 5 is D, that is, evil companions. That's Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 6 is a rhyme. Seven men chosen to fix. This is the seven men that were chosen out to deal with the grumbling about the Grecian widows. Acts chapter 8, two men who don't wait, that is to obey the gospel. You've got two conversions in Acts chapter 8, that's Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 9, Saul is struck blind. This is his conversion. He's on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 10 is when the Gentiles begin. This is the first Gentiles that come into the church. And who is the first Gentile convert? Cornelius. Acts chapter 11, the Gentiles can go to heaven. This is Peter retelling Acts chapter 10, basically. Acts chapter 12 is a rhyme. Acts 12, Herod exalts himself. And he does it in two ways. First, he kills James, and then he arrests Peter. And I guess... Um, he gives this speech in which he exalts himself too. And he thinks he is great. And of course, the Lord strikes him dead. Acts 13, son not seen. And this is where Elymas is struck blind on the first missionary. Acts 14, it's a similar sound. 14 is for them. And this is where Paul and Barnabas are seen as gods and they bring gifts to them. It is 14 for them. Acts 15, I remember this as fifth diff. You've got two major differences that take place in Acts chapter 15. You've got the, the, the dissension between Paul and Barnabas, and then you've got, I didn't put it on the list here, but also you've got um, the argument over whether circumcision is necessary, and they have what's called the Jerusalem Council. That's two major differences in Acts chapter 15. Acts 16, I call this sweet 16, two souls clean. You've got two conversions in Acts chapter 16. That is the conversion of Lydia and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Then Acts chapter seven, 17, 17 is heaven's king. This is where Paul goes into Athens and he's going to tell them about the one true God of heaven and that is uh, what he calls to them the unknown God. Okay, you might think, well, those are kind of corny. If you'll go over these over and over, you will know what's in each chapter of the book of Acts. Anytime someone mentions something, immediately I call to my mind the rhymes, and I know what's in every chapter. So I know that they. if you're goofy like me, it helps. Okay, we are in Acts chapter 17. Paul is on the second missionary journey. This one starts, of course, oops, over here in Antioch. Let's see. 
There we go. We're going to start in Antioch, and Paul and Silas are traveling together. We can see that they're going to travel over, over here to Troas, and in Troas, they're going to pick up Timothy, and then, or let's see, is that right? No, that's not right. Uh, here we go. Lystra is where they pick up Timothy. And then they're going to travel over here to, to Troas. When they get to Troas, they're going to have what we call the Macedonian call. And this thing is not cooperating. There we go. You get to Troas, and we have the Macedonian call. They travel to Philippi. Uh, what are some significant things, three significant things that happen in Philippi? Can you tell me one significant thing that happens in Philippi? Who's converted in Philippi? Okay, Philippian jailer. Who else? Lydia. And then there's one other significant thing that happens, and that is the demon-possessed girl follows them around, and Paul casts out the demon. All right? When they leave there, you can see that they go to Thessalonica, in Thessalonica, the Jews cause a big uproar. They go to the house of Jason, who is a Christian. They drag him out into the town square, and they cause a big ruckus. Paul ends up leaving. They go to Berea. In chapter 17 and verse 11, the text says about the Bereans, now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. A great, great verse to remember. Acts 17 and verse 11. What does that tell us? They had an open heart, and they searched the Scriptures, and they did it daily. There's a whole sermon outline for you in Acts 17 and verse 11. Well, while they're in Berea, the Jews who were causing the ruckus at Jason's house back in Thessalonica, they hear about them having success in Berea, so they come over to Berea, and they start making a ruckus there. Well, Paul decides he's going to leave Berea, and the brethren are going to shuttle him out to get him out of there. And so at this point, he leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea, and he heads down to Athens. As soon as he gets to Athens, he's going to send message back to those two guys, come to Athens. I want you to meet me here ASAP. So we're going to pick up tonight at Acts 17 and verse 15, and Brother Loftus is going to be our reader tonight. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Okay, you can see on the map here from Berea, this is where they were. There's debate over whether this is the right path, whether they went by land or whether they came around by sea. If they came by sea, it took about three days, and it was about 300 miles. If they went by land, it took longer than that. So Paul gets to Athens. He sends word to Silas and Timothy, come meet me here. Okay, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Okay, Paul gets to Athens, and it says that his spirit is provoked within him. This is an interesting Greek word. It carries with it the idea of agitation, maybe even anger. 
So he goes, and the city is filled with idols. In fact, the word saw here is in the imperfect tense, which means he just kept on seeing it. Everywhere he looked in this city, there are idols. History says there were more idols in the city of Athens than in the entire nation of Greece. Pliny, the historian, says that there were 30,000 public idols in Athens, not counting the ones that people had in their homes. And an ancient Roman uh, satirist, satirist, however you say that, he said it was easier to find a god than a man in Greece. And so they are everywhere. How would that make you feel when you come into a city and everywhere you look, there's an idol? I mean, 30,000 of these things in this one city. What kind of feeling would you get from this? It says for Paul, it made him agitated, even to the point of anger. It is really getting the best of him. Here's a question. Is it appropriate for him to be angry about this? Sure. Um, I think there'd be something wrong if you didn't get angry about this. There are times that a Christian ought to be upset and moved when he sees evil going on. Everywhere he looks, they are worshiping idols. Um, I want to help you envision this city before we actually get in, because Acts 17 is a very significant chapter. So I did some digging to help us appreciate what this would have been like at the time. This is uh, modern-day uh, Athens. Does anyone know what this is called that's up on the top of the hill here? Okay. Um, this is the Acropolis. And what is this building called on the Acropolis? This is the Parthenon. I hear somebody saying it. This is what it looks like today. You can see they're doing some repair on it. It is crumbling. But this particular hill is the Acropolis. It's the highest hill in the city of Athens. This is a reproduction of what some think that it might have looked like during Roman times. You can see this would have been very grand, and this hill is really built up. I found this. This was a painting that a visitor did when he visited uh, Athens in 1869, and he sat down and painted what it looked like. This was interesting to see the places in shambles and ruins, and there's just not much of anything there in 1869, much like it looks today. Does anyone know what this is? Okay, that is the Parthenon that is here in Tennessee. They have replicated it. I don't know if it's actual size or not. Does anybody know that? It, it looks pretty big. I don't know if it's actual size. I have not been over to see this. Sherry and I have it on the list of things that we want to do, but this is in Nashville, and they have tried to replicate the Parthenon. You can see that uh, they've really got some intricate work done here. Oops. Let's see here. Back to start. I don't want to go back to the start. Okay. This is inside of the Parthenon in Nashville, and they've tried to replicate what this would have looked like. You can see the people standing there, and this gives you an idea about how large this statue is. I had one, but it was kind of blurry, but it had a picture of a man standing beside it. And these don't even do justice because they're 
uh, closer up and it makes it look larger than it is. Um, here is a shot of what um, this goddess looked like. Does anyone know who this goddess is in the Parthenon? Uh-huh. This is Athena, the goddess Athena, and she's in the Parthenon. And you can see some of the intricate work that is on this particular statue. So it looks like they've done a really good job and spent a lot of money on doing this. I think it would be fascinating to, to see. Uh, I took this picture off because it just gives you an idea how big the doors are on this place. This is a massive, massive building. This is a picture to give you an idea about when you came into Greece. This is in the center of Athens. You can see the Acropolis is up at the top. You can see the Parthenon. You can see some of these other buildings. There's a mixture of government buildings, and there is a lot of temples to idols all over the city. So when you see the big buildings, you've got probably a government building or a temple. Now, down below, you can see the Areopagus. This is the second highest uh, hill that is in Athens. And this is significant because if you zoom in, you can see this is where they would meet, the government body, the council would meet and have discussions. And this is where they're going to take Paul when he gives this great speech in Acts chapter 17. What's interesting, you can see from the Areopagus, if you just look to the left, you can see the Parthenon right there. So as he's giving the speech about the one true God, and he says, there are no gods made with hands. There are no gods of gold and silver. What are they seeing all around him when he gives this speech? Very, very interesting. This was um, an overview. Someone has done a 3D video of what uh, Athens would have looked like at the time. And it's fascinating. I'm going to try to show it to you in a minute. We're going to see how well this plays. But I did some screen captures. This is uh, their idea of uh, a zoom out. You can see right here in the middle of the city. Oops. This is this spot in the middle. Let's see if I can. There we go. This spot in the middle. This is the marketplace. They call this the Agora. And this is where people would go to sell, and they would meet. And if there's any news going on in the city, everyone would go there. Paul starts out there uh, talking and debating with people. You can see that there's houses all around. And then you can see the, um, the hill over here where the Parthenon and everything is. So when you see Greece, you always see this, and that's all you see. But you don't see the rest. You can see the wall that goes around the city. And then you can see this long road that enters into the city, and this goes all the way out to the seaside. Let's see here. I keep going back to the start. I've got to stop doing that. Okay. All right. This gives you an idea of zooming in on it, and this, again, is what I showed you just a moment ago. This is the marketplace. You can see... The marketplace, the Agora, is surrounded by temples and government buildings, and they have excavated this area so well that they pretty much know everything that was in this city. They have been able to recreate this very, very accurately, 
And so when they put together models like this, they are able to label the specific buildings and say this is what was here and this is what was here. Uh, this was another shot I did. You can see that this says the Agora down here, that is the marketplace. And they would set up tents and sell. Um, I thought you can see the wall that is back here. I thought going through this, it gave me a much better uh, experience in my own mind of what Paul went through. Again, here is the, the Agora from another angle. You can see some of the temples that they had that were surrounding it. Everywhere they went, they had this sort of thing. Again, here's another shot of the Agora. Uh, this would be just a zoom in on the Agora. And back to the Acropolis. So I'm going to show you uh, a video here. If I can get this to play, actually, I've got it attached to the other one. So um, are you able to play that from back there, Chris? Okay. Um, this would be, I think, the first video. And this is an overview of Athens, the 3D model. And uh, it's long, so we won't play the whole thing necessarily. But They've done an amazing job with this, and I, I just want y'all to see this. Okay, well, that was probably uh, a good enough shot of that. Isn't that amazing, the way they have redone that? And I think it really gives you an appreciation. I didn't stop it, but could you see in the background the water as uh, he would have docked there, and then the road that is leading up to the city. They've got the Great Wall that goes around the city, and then you can see the part that we always see, the Acropolis, is up on a huge rock. And I've just thought about the ingenuity that it would have taken in that period of time to level that and to build these things, uh, this huge temple up on the top of that rock. And so it's up there, and it's overlooking everything else. It's interesting when you read in the Old Testament that oftentimes you read about the high places. They went up to the high places. That is almost always, in fact, I don't know an exception, it is a reference to temples. They would build the temples to false gods up on high places. I guess maybe they thought it made them closer to heaven or whatever, but you can see they picked the highest point. They put the temple to the goddess Athena, this grand temple, the Parthenon. And then the next highest place, which you can see here, is the Areopagus, and uh, that's where Paul is going to speak here in just a moment. So we'll pick up here in verse number 17 and go from there. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Okay, I want you to notice this starts with Therefore, he reasoned with them in the synagogue. Well, when you see therefore, what does that mean? What is it they used to say anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? And that is, this is tying this statement to the previous statement. Therefore, he reasoned with the Jews and the Gentiles. So, what provoked him? Why do we have the therefore? In the previous verse, it says, while Paul waited in Athens, his spirit is provoked in him. This is the word that means agitation, maybe even to the point of anger. He is intensely disturbed 
Therefore, he reasoned with them in the synagogue and in the marketplace. What does that mean? He couldn't stand it. He is so stirred up about seeing these gods everywhere. He goes into the synagogue. He reasons with the Jews who are there. But he doesn't just reason with the Jews. The Jews who are there don't believe in all these gods. So what does he do? It says he also reasoned with them in the marketplace daily. Now what is the marketplace? That is back on our map here. You can see the center area where I told you that people would go and sell. This is also... What I was reading, this was the place that they would go daily to get their news, to get the gossip, just for people to talk, to find out what was going on. They didn't have um, a television. They didn't have cable news. They didn't have social media. They couldn't log on to Facebook. So what did they do? Everyone went to the marketplace, and they would gather and talk and see what was happening. That's where the center of information was. So Paul would go there, and he would begin to speak. All right, verse number uh, 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, so he's out preaching, he's teaching. And then it says, certain of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So you had various groups in Athens. You can imagine with 30,000 gods and all these different temples, there were a lot of different crazy beliefs. One of the groups was what was called the Epicureans. They were pagans. They believed in lots of different gods. They believed that um, basically in evolution... They believed that the world was created by fortune. They believed in a lot of gods, but they didn't believe that they created the world. They believed that it was a fortunate collision of atoms that created this earth. That's not very different from what people believe today, is it? Their philosophy, does anyone know what the philosophy of the Epicureans was? It was pleasure. What is it people say? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that is attributed to the Epicureans. They believed that the highest goal in life was pleasure. Two types, sexual pleasure and intellectual pleasure. That's the highest goals in life. When they hear Paul preaching, and he's teaching Christianity, it's going to be pretty different, isn't it? It's going to be the opposite of that. Now, I want you to think about them. They believed that the world came from a fortunate collision of atoms. Does that sound absolutely ridiculous? How different is that from what is believed today? A fortunate collision of atoms. Basically, evolution today teaches that just enough chance over millions and billions of years brought us here. That's exactly the same as a fortunate collision of atoms. They also believed that pleasure was the highest goal, sexual pleasure and intellectual pleasure. You think, ah, those pagans. How different is that from the thinking of many people today? You've got a lot of people today who still are buying into the Epicurean philosophy. They may not call it that. They don't follow Epicurus, but it's the same thinking. 
Now, it says there was another group, the Stoics. The Stoics were founded by a man named Zeno. He taught that the true philosophy in life was total indifference to both sorrow and pleasure. So you're not going to let anything affect you strongly. Not pleasure, uh, not uh, sorrow, self-denial, an austere apathy, untouched by human passion, unmoved by change of circumstance. And so you're just going to be pretty neutral. You're not going to let things uh, affect you. In fact, uh, sometimes if you hear someone say, well, that person's a very stoic. If you hear someone say that, what do they mean if a person is stoic? Okay. You, if a person is stoic, that's going to be a person who just doesn't show a lot of emotion. That, that's the philosophy, right? They believe that death, you just cease to be. Well, how's that going to mesh with the Christian philosophy that Paul is teaching? So they hear this, and even though the Stoics and Epicureans are kind of opposites, neither one of them like this. And so they're going to take him to task. They're going to debate him openly. And it says that they said, what does this babbler have to say? Does that sound like a compliment? If you're called a babbler, it means you're just running on. This particular Greek word is very interesting. It's from two Greek words, one that it means seed and the other that means picker. They called him a seed picker. And the idea seems to be that he's not a real thinker, but he's just picking pieces out of different philosophies. He's kind of a plagiarizer. He takes this here and he takes this here. And they're like, what is this guy talking about? This guy's just a babbler. He's just picking pieces from everybody's thinking and, and putting it together as if he's got something new. And what he's bringing us is foreign gods. That's what they accused him of. To them, the Greeks had the idea that... Oh, man, that was quick. The, the Greeks had the idea that if a person died and a demon would come into them that that would bring them back to life. And so Jesus is being taught by Paul, and he's teaching the resurrection of the dead. And that's what's going to click with them, this idea of a demon. And so they say he's bringing in these, this foreign idea. He's got crazy pieces of philosophy. What is going on with this guy? All right, verse number 19. And they took him and brought him to the air. Opagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Okay, they brought him to the Areopagus, and that is the place here at the bottom. The top is the Acropolis and the Parthenon. The second highest hill is the Areopagus. I was reading that when it says they brought him to the Areopagus, it might not be referring to this hill, but the Areopagus was the name of their governing body. And so the hill was also called the Areopagus. So when it says they brought him to the Areopagus, it might be referring to the council rather than the hill, but it's the, it's the same place. Um, I was trying to think, um, we use that same type of language, don't we? If you said, we took him to the White House, we could be referring to the people there, or we could be referring to the place, or uh, he went to the Capitol. You could be talking about the or he... We took him to the court. 
Same sort of language that, that we would use. So they took him here, and they took him to task. Um, there is a lot of times videos that people put together, uh, animations, are not good. But someone has done an animation of Paul on the Areopagus making his defense, and it is almost word for word what's in the Bible. And so it's a different version, but it's good. I watched it twice to be sure that it matches up with the Bible, and it's good. One of the things I like, as he's talking, imagine him on the Areopagus in this picture and see the Acropolis off to the left. They've matched that up good with this video. So, Chris, let's see if we can show that video, too. Now, Paul, tell us what your new teaching is all about. We have heard you say some strange things, and we want to know what you mean. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars has this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in man-made temples, and human hands cannot serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, and since this is true, we should not think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. All right, thanks. Um, isn't that good, though? If you go back and you listen to what he said and read the text, it matches almost exactly. Normally, I don't like these kind of things because they really veer from what the Scripture says. But if they can reproduce it and follow the Bible almost exactly, it gives you a good idea of where he was. And then being able to see uh, the Parthenon off there while the people, he's listening, the people are listening to him and seeing this, um, really amazing. Was that helpful to use those visuals like that? It was helpful to me. So, okay, thank you all very much.